read in chapter 4, just the last little bit of chapter 4, starting in verse 7 and going through verse 14. I'd like to give us a title as we look at eight different men who served, that the title of this message would be for us, Well Done, Good and Faithful Servant. And so we trust that as we read God's Word this evening, that there'll be something for each one of us. We'll notice eight different men who served. Starting in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, I am reading in the New King James translation. It says, Tychicus, who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Now verse 12, depending on how you pronounce his name, Epaphras, or Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Now verse 14 concludes our reading with two more names. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And we'll trust that we'll know the Lord's blessing in the reading of his word. Let's pray once more together. Father, how thankful we are that when we read your word, we're immediately aware of being in your presence. And we ask, O oh Lord, that our hearts might be open before your face, hiding nothing, for we know this is impossible. Help us, Father, to allow you free course in our lives. We know the truth. The truth has made us free. Help us, Father, who have been set free by the Son of God to be free indeed and allow you free course in every area of our lives. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, we trust that as we look at these eight individuals who serve the Lord, that we might gain some personal lessons in life looking at these eight different men. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul, writing to the believers at Colossae, was writing from prison. Together with the book, or the letter to the Ephesians, as well as to the Philippians, as well as his personal letter to Philemon, these four letters written from prison, and written to give instructions when he could not be there himself. You know, we take these things very personal, don't we? That while the Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossians, He's also writing to Claremont, and we learn the lessons through the lives of those who served 
and we take those lessons to our life. We start looking at each man and each one so different. Aren't you glad for that? The variety, every one of us, different from each other and yet special to the Lord. And so we look at each one and something he did in his ministry that the Lord gives acknowledgement to. And we start with Tychicus. Tychicus, well, the Apostle Paul, writing about him, first of all calls him not just a brother, but a beloved brother. Now that's a good way, isn't it? I remember when we had a speaker at Believer's Bible Chapel at home, there was a nice older couple that was in fellowship with us, and now with the Lord, from Scotland. And as Brother Bushra Mikhail, the speaker, presented the word that day, they were really taken up with his ministry. And I said, they, they commented, they said, oh, that was wonderful. I said, what was so wonderful about his ministry to you? And I expected it would be some of his good Bible teaching notes and outline. And you know what they said? They said, it was the way he called us beloved. <laughs> well, you know, it's an important term, isn't it? It's an endearing term, beloved. And that's the way the Apostle Paul, when he mentioned Tychicus, not just a brother in the Lord, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, but beloved brother. And so that's the first thing we see about him. The second thing we see in Tychicus' life, according to the Apostle Paul, as he writes of this little team that's there with him at prison, he says he's a faithful minister. Now that's not a title, it's a calling, isn't it? It means, as his next indication, that he was a fellow servant in the Lord. That's the idea of, idea of being a minister, someone who is serving, and as he mentions, he is faithful in his ministry or in his service. I got a telephone call a few years ago in my neighborhood, and uh, it was from a neighbor, not a believer, but called about 4.30 in the morning. How do you answer the phone at 4.30? So I said, hello, and they said, Reverend Trogdon? I said, you know, please don't call me Reverend. And she said, why, because it's 4.30 in the morning? <laughs> I said, no, I mean, any time of the day. You know, it's not a title, is it? Holy and Reverend is his name. And the minister is just someone who is serving together with the Lord's help. And so the Apostle Paul, when he mentions these things, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. None of these are titles way up here, but rather acknowledging the work and the service that Tychicus was about to do. And what would he do? Well, the Apostle Paul says in verse 7, he's going to tell you all the news about me. Now, depending on your translation, he's going to make you know all my estate or affairs, the things that are happening here. So Tychicus... He had a unique ministry, and the ministry was simply to convey the message and to let the believers at Colossae know how the Apostle Paul is doing. Now, that's just half of his ministry. Look in verse 8, if you will. Paul says, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now, that's the other side of being a messenger. So Paul had to select a man who was faithful. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, like cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. 
He was sending Tychicus from Rome all the way to Colossae. By the way, that's about a thousand miles. A thousand miles is nothing to me if there's an airplane involved. You know, he wasn't flying, even though sometimes we say, boy, flying all day takes a lot out of you. But I'm embarrassed because his thousand mile journey was over land and sea, dangers of robbers, dangers along the way, you name it. He endured it all. For what reason? Just so he could take a message from Paul to the believers at Colossae, that's half of it, but also to find out how the believers at Colossae are doing so he could get back word to Paul. Now that's what communication is. Communication is two-way. That's the danger, isn't it, of texting. I'm, you know, I'm leaving town tonight. I might as well pull out all the stops. Huh? I used to tell my grandchildren, call me, it's free. But they wouldn't do it. They kept texting me. And every time I texted them, I thought, this is five cents. This is five cents. And so I kept saying, call me, I'll call you. And they wouldn't answer my calls. All they wanted to do is convey the message from them to me. We're coming to see you. Be there by supper time. You know, that kind of message. And that's a one-way communication. Well, now I've learned to text. I bought the whole package. I can text hundreds of times. And you know, it's a communication, isn't it? Two-way communication. The Apostle Paul, he didn't want to just tell them about me, but he wanted to know about them. Enough about me, let's talk about you. Some people think enough about you, let's talk about me. And so it should be both ways, shouldn't it? And so the Apostle Paul, he said, I've got to find one man that I can really count on. I need a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant, a good messenger, and his name is Tychicus. What would we say about him? I'll tell you what I would say. He served well. Well done, good and faithful servant. Tychicus, he served well. Now, he's not going to go alone. Two are better than one, right? And so in verse 9, we read the other man who is going to go along with Tychicus. His name, it's a little bit strange to us. I don't know anybody who has named their son by this name. I mean, not even Tychicus, but especially Onesimus. Onesimus, what do we know about him? Well, Paul can says very similar to Tychicus because he's also this other messenger going with him. He calls him a faithful and beloved brother. Now we do know about Onesimus from the letter to, the, to, to Philemon, the personal letter, that Onesimus was a runaway slave. He had run from Colossae, he'd run all the way to Rome, and he ran right into the Apostle Paul. And it must be, now I don't have a verse on it, but it must be that when he met the Apostle Paul, he saw his need for the Savior and trusted the Lord as his very own personal Savior. And yet Paul says he's a faithful and beloved brother. I'm thinking that in a very short period of time, Onesimus, he must have really grown quickly in the Lord. To have this kind of comment characterizing his life a faithful and a beloved brother, that Onesimus, he had really covered the ground spiritually. You know, some people really grow rapidly, don't they? And others of us, we just plod along until the light comes on. But some, they get right into the word, they get right into service. I believe Onesimus was this kind of man. Especially since a runaway slave could have been 
executed on sight, or could have been taken by someone else who found him and claimed as his own, or even sold back to his master at a high price. The Apostle Paul, he had to consider carefully what to do with this runaway slave. You know, especially with the 4th of July being tomorrow, you and I can relate to Onesimus, can't we? Oh, sure we can. Look what the verse says about him. Right there in verse 9, he says, Who is one of you? I'm going to have to work on this one just a little bit. Because Onesimus was such a strange name, we can relate to him, can't we? I'll tell you two ways we can relate to him. The first three letters of his name and the last two letters of his name. First three letters says he's one. Well, each one of us can relate to him. The last two letters says he's one of us. That's what Paul said. He's one of you. Well, if he's one of you, then he's one of us. In fact, when you think about Onesimus, all of us are Onesimuses, aren't we? I, let me try that again. All of us are Onesimuses. We're all runaway slaves, aren't we? We were in bondage to sin, and the Lord has set us free. Running, trying to get away, and not being able to achieve true freedom until we found the Lord Jesus Christ, and we became His servant, His slave. A bond slave of Jesus Christ is the freest you could ever be. And thank God for that. So the Apostle Paul is sending him back to Colossae. But he's not just sending him back to Colossae as a runaway slave who's been found and returned to his master. But you may remember, it wasn't just the letter to the Colossians, but also the letter to Philemon, Onesimus's master, that they were going to carry back to Colossae. So Tychicus had the letter of the Colossians, and Onesimus, he was given a letter too. He said, take this to your master. Now, if you notice, in Philemon, Paul, he knows how to work the angles, doesn't he? Paul says to Philemon, I found your runaway slave. I'm sending him back to you because I didn't want to take advantage of you and just take him in your place. I wanted you to have the right to give him to me freely. He can serve me in your place, Philemon. And here's what I love about Philemon. Paul writes to Philemon, he says, and don't forget, brother, you owe me Nothing like a little pressure, right? But Paul had come to love Onesimus, and so much so that he calls him a brother, and also a faithful and beloved brother, and he's going to use him as the two-man team to communicate to the believers at Colossae, and also to find out how the believers at Colossae are doing, and he says, I'm going to give you Onesimus so that you can send him back to serve me in your place, Philemon, and Onesimus, to come to the point to where he was willing to go back to his master. That took a lot of not just spiritual learning, but a lot of growing in grace, as well as in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How fast would you have to grow to get to that point? Onesimus, he had to grow so well that he was willing to Take a letter back. I wonder if that letter was sealed. What do you think? Hmm? If it was sealed, did he peek at it to see what it said? You know, David sent a letter to Joab in the hand of Uriah the Hittite. Have this man put to death. 
Paul sent a letter by Onesimus to his master Philemon and said, set this man free. And we thank the Lord that Onesimus grew to the point to where he was willing to go back, face the music, whatever happened, but to do so with a free state as he was in Christ. Well, as you can already tell, I'm going to say Onesimus grew well while Tychicus served well. Our next man in verse 10, I think a lot of Aristarchus. Why? Well, Aristarchus, Paul calls him in verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you. Now the others are there, kind of like the team that is supporting and encouraging the Apostle Paul in prison. That was allowed. If you didn't have someone who cared for you in prison, it's a little bit different here. You know, the riots in prison now are, we don't get enough channels on our TV, okay? But nowadays, that's the way it is. But in that day, there was no food brought to the prisoner at all. If you didn't have someone that cared for you, you'd die in prison. And so we have a team around them. But Aristarchus is different. Paul says, he's my fellow prisoner. He's incarcerated with me. In fact, if you look at the life of Aristarchus, he's had it rough from the very beginning. He was a true soldier. When he was introduced into the work as a Macedonian from Thessalonica, his introduction into the work at Ephesus was during a riot. You remember the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, there was either a riot or a revival. Well, this was the riot in Ephesus, great as Diana of the Ephesians. And the riot broke out, and Aristarchus was introduced to the gospel right in the midst of all of the turmoil there, and he was taken, and he was bound, and he became a prisoner, and he followed the Apostle Paul from that point on as he followed the Lord together. His continuation in the work well, he went from Philippi to Troas until finally he's on the Adramidium ship with the Apostle Paul on his way to prison. And now he's called, he's my fellow prisoner. What would you say about Aristarchus? Well, he was a good soldier of Christ Jesus, wasn't he? He didn't turn back from following the Lord whenever he faced the opposition. He stood so firm, we have a saying down south, trying to make him bend would be like bending a stump. All right? He wouldn't give in. He was going to stand his ground. We need that kind of strength in these days, don't we? You know, we're not asked to go on the attack, as some people have wrongly thought, but rather we're called to stand. Stand? Well, that's what Paul wrote to the believers at Ephesus, wasn't it? And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Don't you love it? We're going to withstand, we're going to do everything to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, just stand. <laughs> I knew a man up in Canada who wrote me about serving on the mission field, and believe it or not, he signed his letter, and here's his name, Stan Straight. I said, you know, my mother used to tell me that. Stan Straight. Would you like to have a name like that? Well, Aristarchus had a little different name, but I tell you what, he stood not only straight, but he stood firm. He wasn't giving way to anything. He stood, and in our mind, we have the imagery of the gospel armor, don't we? Of the belt of, of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, 
his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith standing up to all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. He had the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and in prayer. Just like execution posture, he was completely dependent upon the Lord. How long has it been? I, I like having favorite hymns, don't you? To be sung together, especially on a Sunday night when it's just us here. And one of our hymns that we don't hear as much as we used to was the nice hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. You remember the words to that, don't you? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army, our banner does he lead, where, until every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Think of this last, or the third verse. It says, stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Aristarchus, he was a man who stood against all opposition and stood for the Lord and stood with the Apostle Paul. Yes, just like Tychicus who served well and Onesimus who grew well. Aristarchus, well, he stood well. And as he stood, we're also called, aren't we, in this day and time to stand up for the Lord and to stand firm in his strength. The next man we see in that very same verse, verse 10, finally we get a normal name, just a one-syllable name. Mark, unless you have the other translations that say Marcus, two syllables, Mark. We recognize that name, don't we, as John Mark. And so Paul writes about Mark and he says, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Oh yes, John Mark, he was on the first missionary journey. And when the Apostle Paul turned from the Jewish area, it looks like as he made his way up to some of the Gentile regions, Mark, John Mark, he went AWOL, absent without leave. For some reason, he deserted the first missionary journey and went back home. Came time for a second missionary journey. And Barnabas and Paul said, let's go visit the churches that we established and see how they fare. And Barnabas said, you know, that's a great idea. I'll go get Mark. And the apostle Paul said, oh, no, you won't. And Barnabas said, oh, yes, I will. And Paul said, oh, no, you won't. You get the idea, don't you? The Bible says in the book of Acts that the contention between these two great servants of the Lord, the contention was so sharp. Actually, it means it was so full of oxygen that it exploded. And Barnabas went one way and Paul went the other way. Barnabas took John Mark, his cousin or nephew, depending on how those, you know, those terms are all relative. We'll leave those like they are. Okay, so Barnabas took John Mark with him, Paul took Silas with him, and some of us are thinking, and I've heard many commentators say, well, obviously the Lord didn't bless Barnabas and Mark because we don't read about them anymore. But that's not the case at all. It's just that the gospel went two ways. 
and God gave a double blessing to the work of the gospel. And we have proof of it because when Paul writes about Mark, he says, you've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. You mean somebody that went home of failure? Well, just how bad was it? Failure for John Mark was really, as Erwin Lutzer writes, the back door to success. Going home of failure is the best thing that can happen to a person. John Mark, he went back and he was such a failure, he must have gotten together with Simon Peter because he wrote the gospel according to Mark. Hmm? And look how we've been blessed. The first written account of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, written by this failure. Now, I don't know how many are failures here, but I have noticed over the years that the Lord likes to use failures more than he uses successes. You know why that is, don't you? Well, because there are no successes. <laughs> We're all failures in one way or another. I mean, let's just face up to it. If we haven't failed in something we've done, we've failed in something we've said. And if we haven't failed in something we've done or said, Open up our thought life. We're all failures. It's only by the grace of God that he could use any of us to do anything. And John Mark, well, he could have just given up when he went home and said, I've messed up big time. I'm down. I'll never get up again. No, the righteous, we heard it this morning, they fall seven times and the Lord raises them up. God is able to make us stand and he's able to restore us and to bring us back. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 23. He restoreth my soul. God's the God of restoration. And John Mark, though he went away as a failure, he must have been restored. He recovered well, didn't he? How do we treat people in recovery? I mean, we all need it sometimes along the way, don't we? More than we'd like to admit. I was standing at the door of an assembly waiting for the Sunday night meeting to begin with an elder and somebody pulled up in the parking lot and the elder said I can't believe they've come back and I said who and about that time they came walking up and the elder he said I'll, I'll try to break the ice he said who's this stranger coming here I said what is wrong with you don't you know how hard it is to come back to the Lord, much less come back to the fellowship and to, to face the music here? You know, when the Apostle Paul talked about how to receive Mark, look what he says. You've received instructions about him. What do you think those instructions were? Well, he tells us, if he comes to you, you meet him at the door with arms folded and say, come crawling back, will you? Never. When somebody's been restored to the Lord, they're back in the family fellowship, aren't they? Arms wide open. It's good to see you. We've missed you. A southern hug goes a long way, believe me. And so did John Mark. He recovered well. He wasn't afraid to come back. Never be afraid to come back. I know people that think they're washed up. God has never finished with you. As long as there's breath, I heard years ago Chuck Swindoll on the radio and he said, if you think your case, case is hopeless, that you've made such a mess of things and you don't think God can use you anymore, he said, just go into the bathroom and stand in front of the mirror. 
And when you stand in front of that mirror, he says, breathe on it. He said, if a vapor appears, it's not hopeless. If no vapor appears, call 911. It's over. As long as there's breath, God can restore and strengthen us and make the weak places stronger than ever before. And so Paul says, if he comes back, you welcome him. He recovered well. Now, the next man that's mentioned here in verse 11, his name is actually Jesus, but who would want to bear that great name? And so, while we don't know anything else about him than the mention of him right here in verse 11, this is what we read about him. And Jesus who is called Justice. And Paul says of him and a few others, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. In other words, they were Jewish. They have proved to be a comfort, some translations say a support to me. Jesus, who is called Justice. What if your mom had named you Jesus? Would you change your name? Well, he must have. I'm sure he felt like Jesus is the name above every name. And I really don't want my name to take anything away from his name. So I'm going to change my name. And all I want to do as we read about him, I just want to be a comfort. I just want to be a help. I just want to be a support. I'm going to work behind the scenes. No spotlight, thank you very much. There are a lot of people like this in the body of Christ, aren't there? There are a lot of people just like that right here. We have some wonderful saints that serve at home. And if you were to stand up and make an announcement, we'd like to thank, and you name their names, they would be hiding down below the pews. And they would be mad after the meeting was over. They would let you know, please don't ever do that again. I think that Jesus, who is called Justice, I think he might have been that kind of man, a behind-the-scenes support. In fact, I'm going to, if you don't mind, play with his name just a little bit. When it came to the support workers, they wanted to recognize them and thank them for their support. This man might have said, don't mention it. It's just us back here working. It is getting late on Sunday night, isn't it? <laughs> if you've been at camp all week, we give you a pass on it. Huh? It's just us. That really is the right attitude, isn't it? We're all servants. There's no one better than anyone else. In our service, God sees it all wonderfully if it's done for him. Whether it's washing dishes or doing brain surgery, you name it. Do it for him. It's really, well, justice. Let's call it this way. He supported well. He proved to be a comfort, a support to the Apostle Paul. Now, the next man we read about in verse 12, Epaphras, or Epaphras, he really seems like the bright light here. And I want to just take some time to consider, because the Apostle Paul writes some things about Epaphras that really should challenge our hearts. Epaphras, you know, Paul did not actually plant the church work at Colossae. It's the credit is given to a man who was a man of prayer, and his name was Epaphras. 
Look what he says about Epaphras. In verse 12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you. In other words, he's a Colossian. He's a servant of Christ. He greets you always, and now notice this, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, the first thing we look at this life of Epaphras and see is that he was a prayer warrior. He was commit, completely committed to prayer. How do you start a new work? <laughs> you pray. That's what they were doing in the upper room. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing. When you have the Apostle Paul writing this kind of commendation about the prayer life of another worker, you have a man who knows what he's talking about. First time you meet Saul of Tarsus, you remember the situation. He tells... What is his name that he tells? Ah, I can't remember it right now. Ananias, that's right. Not the Sapphira Ananias, the other Ananias. He tells Ananias to go and find one, Saul of Tarsus. Where are you going to find him at? Well, he's on the street called Straight. I like that too, don't you? It already been put on the straight and narrow. The Lord had to knock him off his high horse to get him there. Strike him with blindness from the sight of the glorious Lord that appeared to him. And he said, Ananias, you'll know who he is. Behold, he is praying. That's a great way to start your ministry, isn't it? Prayer. Track the prayers of the Apostle Paul through the scriptures. You will be amazed. Now, we know the ones in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened. We might know the mystery of his will. And Ephesians 3 that our hearts might be filled to overflowing. But all the way through his life, he's a prayer warrior, the Apostle Paul. You can accomplish more on your knees than you can on your feet if you're an Apostle Paul who knows how to pray and if you're an Epaphras who starts a work by prayer. And so he says about him that he was earnest in his prayers. Earlier this morning, we looked at a prayer it started with, oh, that's the way to pray earnestly, isn't it? Not just the word that's spoken, but truly mean it from your heart. Be intense and committed. Earnest is the good word. He says he is laboring. Do you think of prayer as work? It is work if you're praying earnestly. Laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, he not just prayed earnestly. He prayed effective prayers. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, that's nice when you get a letter from some of the great evangelists in our world that tell you how many millions of people are praying for them. That's one thing, isn't it? But how about the effective or effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man? What can one prayer accomplish? Well, it can plant a church at Colossae. It can supersede the prison bars and continue the work even when you're not there. And so he says he not only prayed earnestly, but he prayed effectually. What would you pray for someone? I know sometimes we pick on our prayers by saying, bless the missionaries, bless the Sunday school teachers. You know, that's better than nothing, isn't it? The Lord can sort out what we really mean and what's needed. But do you notice what he prayed? He is praying fervently for you that you would stand perfect or mature and complete and 
and complete in all the will of God. That's a mouthful prayer, isn't it? He prayed so effectively that he was praying, I don't want to say intelligently, but he was praying scripturally. You know, the best way to pray on our knees is with our Bible open, claiming the promises of God for others. If you want to know all the will of God, you've got to find it in all the word of God. And so that's what he was praying for. And that they would be able to stand in these evil days in which we live. Not only that, he was praying an expanded prayer. I was talking with some of my friends that I met today over at the home. And we were talking about the importance of prayer. And Shirley, sitting beside me, said she prays for the missionaries all over the world. And I said, and you don't even leave your chair. That's amazing, isn't it? Prayer is a wonderful thing, isn't it? That we can be right here in this room and we can pray for people so far away and go around the world. I was at a missionary conference when we were home from Africa at Greenwood Hills Conference. And I stood in line waiting for dinner to be served and I was standing in front of somebody and when I turned in front of them, they said, oh yeah, don't tell me, don't tell me. You're day six. I said, you can call me day six anytime you want to. You know what that meant? She couldn't remember my name, but she remembered we were on day six of the prayer handbook. Huh? Praying all over the place. Here's who he prayed for in verse 13. Paul says, I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. So Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea, it was a triad of cities, three cities in a triangular form geographically. So you had Colossae, you know, there was the cold water river of the Lycus River that flowed out of Colossae. And as it flowed from there, there were the hot water springs of Hierapolis, mineral springs for healing. And those two streams came together, you know where, at Laodicea. Does geography mean anything spiritually? Oh, you better believe it. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. What do you do when you're praying for somebody who's cold at heart? Well, you pray more earnestly. How about for somebody who's boiling hot, serving the Lord? You pray for them too. How about for somebody who's lukewarm? It's time for prayer, brethren, isn't it? And that's what we see with this wonderful, solid, strong believer who accomplished so much for the kingdom of God on his knees in prayer. He, you know, prayed well. And then we come to Luke. In verse 14, just this one little phrase, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician. Now, I like my doctor, but I've never called him my beloved physician. <laughs> I just pay the copay and take the pills, right? Luke, the beloved physician. Luke, I tell you what, his heart was bound with the Apostle Paul, wasn't it? When he writes in the Gospel of Luke and continues the story in the book of Acts, it is the continuing story, isn't it? And Luke writes third person for the first half of Acts, how they went there and they did that and they accomplished this and all these things happened to them. It was all third person. But then he met the Apostle Paul. And his writing style changed. It went from third person to first person. We went here 
We went there. This happened to us. Luke was completely taken up and committed together as a fellow yoke servant together with the Apostle Paul. So much so that when Paul gets to the last chapter of his life, you remember what he wrote? Only Luke is with me. Talk about a good bedside manner for a physician. <laughs> he was right there to the end. And Luke, he cared well. We come to our last man, and his name is Demas. And unique out of these eight men, the Apostle Paul just says, and Demas greets you. Nancy's grandfather used to tell her, if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything. Earlier, when Paul mentioned Demas, he says, he's a fellow worker. He's one of the fellow workers. And he listed him in another book. When he comes to the last chapter of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, you remember what he says. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. It would be a sad last statement about your life, wouldn't it? Here's the worst thing. It could happen to any of us. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. You know, it's not how fast you start and how well you begin. It's also how you finish. We have to beware, don't we, beloved? Demas. He just mentions his name. Is it because he saw something in his life that was drifting away? It's good, isn't it, to pray as the psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's time, isn't it, that we take a good inventory of our lives. We don't want to end up like Demas because when it comes to Tychicus, well, we could say he served well. Onesimus, he grew well. Aristarchus, he stood well. While John Mark recovered well. Epiphras, or Justice, supported well. And Epiphras prayed well. Luke, he cared well. And we'd like to say Demas finished well, but we can't. All we can say about Demas is, well, he finished. What will it be for us? It's possible, isn't it, that Demas did finish well, but we don't know that. We also don't know how we'll finish. But we could take these things to heart and say, help us to serve, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Use us to reach out to others. Strengthen our prayer life. Give us a real care and concern for others. And when it comes right down to it, ultimately, help us to finish well. So that when we stand before you, that we might hear that word of commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Shall we close in prayer? Oh, our Father, as we look into our hearts and we see so much that could take us away from you, we pray that you will bind our hearts to yourself. Draw us nearer and help us, Father, to draw near to you and know that you draw near to us. To resist the devil and know that he flees from us. And as we walk close with you, Lord, we want to thank you that you will open up many doors of opportunity to serve you, to be used by you, 
to reach out to others and convey the message, to stand in this evil day, and having done all to stand, to stand therefore. Prepared unto every good work, we pray. And Lord, we thank you that you give us the glad prospect that when we serve you, one day we'll stand before you. And we long to hear those words of commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, may it be so, we pray, for each one here and those who will hear this message. We pray in the name that is above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.